And we've looked at what this battle is about because what that word verse actually talks about if you look at the original language, it's saying that when you came to Christ, when you gave your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, he brought the kingdom of God within you. He brought his righteousness, his peace, his joy. Uh, The Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So, you know, people talk about the devil and what the devil's doing, but you've got someone living in you that's greater than the devil. And that's why Jesus said we're to be overcomers, not survivors. And, And so all this is inside of us, the kingdom of God, the peace of God, the love of God, the joy of God. There's so many different scriptures that confirm that that's already inside of you, but why aren't we experiencing more of it? Why is it not just shining out of us? And we saw that that's because that process takes place by the renewing of your mind so that there's pressure in your life, the pressures that come against you, the worries and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and all the pressures that come against you and the, just the, the affairs of life, just the issues of life. Just in, in life now seems to be much more difficult and challenging than it was 10 years ago than it was 20 years ago. It's just faster, it's busier. And I know it because, you know, it's, under, it's, it's one thing for us older folks to say, you know, that, that, that it's going faster. But the younger folks, I'm telling, the younger generations are saying, I, it's going too fast for me. I'm, I'm wearing, wear, worn out by it. So it's not just our age, it's the, it's, it's the pressure of life. And part of that, I think, is, is people and issues have access at you almost 24 hours a day, unless you can learn to turn that thing off. But even then, you go in malls, you know, televisions everywhere. Uh, uh, it's, you know, it, it's instant access to information. Something happens in, in Pakistan five minutes ago, and we find out about it now. I get little alerts on my, on my phone that pop. I can't figure out how to turn them off yet. They, they pop up and say, somebody just said this, or this just happened, or someone just got shot somewhere that I've never heard of before. And these things are bombard you, and we have to learn how to manage that. I may talk about that on Sunday. We'll see. But, but life comes at us to... And to to pressure us and the words talking about to not let that happen so that it conforms us to be like the world so that that pressure has us thinking and acting and talking just like everybody else and so we end up in conversations at work and we end up in conversations with relatives talking about oh how terrible things are and I don't know what we're going to do that's just the way the world talks and the church has sort of slips into that because we don't understand that the Bible says don't let that happen because when we do that, we're, we're pressing down inside of us. We're holding back the kingdom of God that is within us, that God wants to express himself through us. He wants to express his love, his joy, his peace. He wants to express his power through us. And that can't happen if we're thinking and talking like the world because that's basically negative and defeatism. Everything's... I was... We were... Interesting, we went into a, a place that I've been into many times before, and there's a clerk there that rushed out to shake our hands and watches us on television every Sunday, and, and he's just talking about how terrible things are and how the world's going to get worse and worse and worse, you know, and, and, and if we just stand there and agree with them, then how is that witnessing anything about the kingdom that's really within us? But then it goes on to tell us we're, that's what we're not to do. But the Bible, and we're going to see more of that tonight, the Bible never just tells you what not to do, it tells you what to to do, because God's a positive God. God doesn't say, don't do this, He tells you to do this. 
Don't do this so that you can do this. So what he tells us to do instead, we're to be transformed. Very different word. That word means to take what you are like on the inside and allow that or work that to come to the outside and that's where it can begin to be a light in this world. That's where the, Christ, the life of Christ in you can begin to touch and affect the lives of other people around you. As long as it's bottled up inside of you, it doesn't change anybody or affect anybody. In fact, it doesn't really change or affect you. You're not even enjoying it yourself. And the process to do that, Romans 12 two says, is by the renewing of your mind. And we've gone back and looked at how the mind works and we've looked at where the mind and God's design of you, what the mind's role is in all of that. We're not going to go back and look at all that. But what we have been looking at as we, as we prepare to get into some techniques, very practical techniques that you can learn to do that, we've, we're, we're, we're learning some basic keys or some basic principles for renewing the mind. And I'm just going to go very quickly through these again if I can get them up here. Well, it's not coming up. Oh, here, here we go. Too fast. There we go. Keys to renewing the mind. We're going to very quickly go through them because we, I want to get on tonight. The first one was you've got to decide that the Word is the authority in your life. That's what we're going to be using to change the way your mind thinks. We're going to be lining our thoughts up with the Word of God. The next thing we talked about, very important, is you've got to get control of your mind. And when we talked about that, that may seem impossible to some of you. But if the Word of God says to do it, that means we can do it. So we looked at some, some principles under that. It's a discipline. It's something that you, you've got to make your mind do what it doesn't want to do. You've got to begin to see your mind as like a spoiled child or, or, or a dog that's out of control that has to be disciplined. So it requires us to discipline it. Whoops. Connection lost. Try it again. There we go. You've got to decide to get it under control. It's an act of your will. And we talked about several things under that. We talked about the difference between wanting to do something and willing to do it. If you want to do something, that's just wish. I want to do something. I want to be, I want to be 20 pounds lighter. I want to be, I want to be, I want to have a, a you know, I want to have a, 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 a tight body. I want to be this. I want to do that. That usually comes by looking at someone else that's doing it and it stirs a desire up in your heart. But I, I don't want you to raise your hand, or, but how many, how many of you have had the experience of really wanting to do something, and you look back now and it, it never happened? They're called New Year's resolutions. And this is a good time to talk about it because we're sneaking up on New Year's. And New Year's is when you look back at the other years, oh, I didn't do this and I didn't do I'm really going to try harder. That's want, wishing something. And it's generally a vague desire to have something or to be like somebody else. But it doesn't work because this is what it requires. To will something means you want it, but you're prepared to pay the price. You're so focused on the goal, you don't care what it costs. You don't count the cost. And in fact, if you've ever gone through something and achieved something, and you look back and say, oh, that cost me so much, then you really never, will, you really never put your heart into it. Because when you achieve what your goal was, you were glad you paid the price. It may have been hard at the time, but you look back and you say it was worth it. And, and we've got to keep this in mind in the world we live in right now. 
Because we're living in a world that's telling you that it's, gonna, it's going to hell in a handbasket. The devil wants to scream in your ears, it's not working. Faith isn't working in your life. This isn't working. You're never going to get to where you're supposed to get to. Your prayers aren't getting answered. All these things, he's going to bombard you with those thoughts to get you to quit. But all you've got to do is read the book of Revelation a little bit and you see what the reward is for finishing well. What's at stake here is eternity. Not whether or not you're going to make it another week because if when you realize what's at stake in the decisions that we make every day, it gives you the energy and the determination to make it because what we're dealing with is eternity, not just the 20, 30, or 40, or 50 years you may still have left on this earth unless Jesus comes back. So to will something means you're pay, prepared to pay the cost. So to get your mind under control, that's not going to happen just because you want to. That's not going to happen just because you think it's a good idea or somebody else is doing it. Maybe your spouse is doing it. and It's going to happen because you sit down and make a quality decision of your will. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do that. And I told you the story last week or last two weeks ago about keeping my, uh, my record of my mind. And the next thing we learned under this is you are not your mind. And that's a revelation for some people. Because they just think, they never think about their mind. It's just they're always thinking and they kind of assume, therefore, their mind is you. It's not. Your mind is a tool that God has given you. It's only one part of you. And we've looked at what part that is. So you are not your mind. Therefore, you, the real you, can get control of your mind. And then we looked at the next thing, which is to forget your failures because you will have them. Which leads us into the next principle, which we talked about last time. Next key is what you pay, this is one of the most important ones, what you pay attention to, what you think about, gets bigger in your mind. And the more you think about it, the bigger it gets. And so when you find yourself worrying and worrying and worrying, what you're doing is it started with one thought you just kept meditating on and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and the more you think about it, the bigger it gets. So if you try to think your way out of that problem, it's just going to get bigger. And so if you're having trouble, I don't know why I keep going on this, but it's one everybody's, most people have dealt with at some point. If you're having trouble losing weight, stop thinking about how much you haven't lost. Stop thinking about how many pounds you put on. The more you think about how many pounds you put on, the more you're going to want to eat to put on and put on more pounds. Yeah, right? The more you think about what you're doing wrong, the more you're going to do wrong. The bigger that wrong gets in your mind, the more guilty you feel about it. And when you feel guilty, what do you want to do? Just let your flesh run loose and comfort you. So what you pay, and then we're going to turn this around and use these principles for us instead of letting them be used against us. And then the next thing we looked at a part of that is, therefore, don't dwell on what you're doing wrong. Don't spend all your time going back over your sins that you've committed because the Bible says if you confess them, not if you keep on confessing them, if you confess them, He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if you have sinned, we don't want to, but if you have, confess it to Him. Then In that scripture, in 1 John 1, 9, there's three things that have to happen. Somebody has to confess it, somebody has to forgive, and somebody has to cleanse. Of those three, three things, you do one of them, and God does two of them. Well, He's faithful to do His two. So if you've done that one, if you've confessed that sin, don't keep going back over it. Don't keep telling, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He heard you the first time. 
All you're doing is getting it bigger and bigger and bigger in your mind, and you're playing into the devil's trap to paralyze you. Okay. Now, the last thing that we looked at last time is you cannot think more, more than one thought at a time. And I had you to go through, this is very important. These are important because when we use the tools I'm going to give you, these are, this is why it's going to work. Because your mind, if you ever had your mind just run, panic and run out of control, there's a way to stop it. Just start saying stop. I had you do an exercise last time, I think, where I had you close your eyes and count backwards from 100 down, and then when I clapped my hands, I had you say your name. And I asked you what happened, and you said you stopped counting. Because you can't be counting and say your name at the same time. You can have thoughts very quickly in a row, but you can't have two thoughts at the same time. So if your mind's running out of control, you can, you can stop it by intentionally putting other thoughts in. And that's going to be a very important part of our process. Now the last, the last um, two things I want to share with you, we didn't cover last time. And this is tough. If you're really serious about this, you've got to get out of your life anything that reinforces the old images. Remember what we're going to be doing. We're talking, we learned, I, I forgot to do this in the review, but you're, you, the, the things that, that control you in your mind are called strongholds. A stronghold is something that's been in there so long that you don't even think about it anymore. All you've got to do is smell that odor, see that look on her face, hear that tone of voice, and you immediately react without going through any kind of thought process at all because that stronghold has been established. And we saw that the strongholds are made up of images. The images are what you react to. It's like a dream, having a dream. I had one the other night, and I woke up, and it's just in a bad mood, and, and, and it's like, I went to bed happy, my wife was happy when I got up, the sun was out, and, but it was, I went back over, what, what were the dreams I had? And then I remembered this dream, and it was just left me with a bad taste in my mouth. And so that image affected how I physically felt and emotionally felt when I got up. But I know what it was, and I know that dream wasn't real, so I could go back and change that. And we spent a lot of time on that. But those images which form the strongholds, are made up of a series of thoughts, a mosaic of thoughts. And so what we're going to be doing is a process by which we create new, image, new strongholds by putting in new images, and you create new images by putting in new thoughts. And therefore, to do that, you've got to get out of your life anything that reinforces the old image. Now, that happens to be your spouse. That's an exception. <laughs> that's what prayer's for. But there may be some people that for, at least for a while you get out of, got to get out of your life. They keep telling you something about yourself. You're never going to amount to anything. The, or they use old nicknames with you that remind you of old childhood images of you. And you may for a while just have to separate yourself from that if you're really serious about doing it. It may be things in your life like television. It may be some books you can't read for a while. Something that you've... But you've got to exercise that discipline and only you know... Only you know what it is. There's a scripture in Joel, it's in several other places, in Isaiah chapter 2 also. But in Joel chapter 3, we're not going to turn there. But it talks about turning your plowshares into swords. And that's, a, a plowshare is, is, is the blade of a plow. And that was used at peacetime to plow the ground so that you can plant seed and have a harvest. But the expression that's used for an attitude of war in, in several places in the Old Testament, is turn your plowshares 
into spears or your pruning hooks into swords in some other places. So that means take instruments that you had for peaceful purposes and you've got to, you've got to melt that down and then you've got to pound that out somehow or recast it so that it's now an instrument of war. It's an attitude of taking and realizing you're at war so you've got to change some things. And if you're at war against those strongholds because otherwise they're going to control you. Now, in Micah 4.3, it talks about the reversal of that process. Now, because there's peace, it's in Isaiah, I think, 2.4 also, that you can take your, plowsh- your swords and turn them back into plowshares. And the last one of these keys is to focus your efforts. The tendency is to pick every stronghold in your life and attack them. And I would not suggest you do that. I would suggest you pick one. Pick one stronghold... And, and it's especially a, a, a one that really affects you so that you're aware of it, maybe fear. And, and that's the one you're going to target because you'll find in the skill you'll learn to overcome that one, you will develop skill to overcome and the confidence you get, you will get that to develop others. Okay, praise the Lord. All right, we're not going to talk. I'm going to turn this off for a moment. We're going to talk now about, go back to, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We mentioned this a few weeks ago. This talks about the process of renewing their mind. And we went through and, and brought out the three different elements in here. Thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. But the Apostle Paul here is talking about a process by which we gain control of ourselves. And the context that he's talking about here isn't really our context. It's not renewing the mind, but it involves the same process. We'll pick up in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, and we live in the flesh, we do not war or fight according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds and casting down arguments or imaginations, the King, the King James says, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the first thing we see is in order to understand this battle, this process, we have to realize it's a battle, it's a war. And you live in your flesh, your body. And if you're, you may not be aware of it, but the but your flesh is talking to you all the time. It's trying to control you all the time. It's telling you that it's tired, it's hungry, it's bored. It, it, it wants to do this. And it, it will especially do that when you're trying to open up to God. When you're in prayer or you're reading your Bible, your mind, your flesh will start getting antsy. Oh, we've been doing this too long. What time is it? I'm hungry. I need to go do this. Suddenly you'll want to do things that you've never wanted to do before. Suddenly you just can't wait to go make that phone call that you didn't want to make before because your flesh wants to do everything other than what your will is telling it to do. And so you've got to understand that just as your mind is not you, your flesh is not you. I love the example that Marilyn Neubauer gave when she did that seminar here a few Saturdays ago on, on healing and she talked about that your body is just your home. The Bible refers to it as a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place. And so you don't go into your home to your house, your apartment or your house tonight and think that's you. 
And the example she used, she said, you know, we have to do, out in California, they have to do termite inspections every so many years. And she said, if I come home and the termite inspector's been there and he, he gives me a, a, a report that says, you have termites, I don't have termites. My house may have them, but I don't have them. Your body is just your home. Your flesh is what you need to dwell in to stay on this earth. But you're going to leave that here someday. And yet we invest so much time, so much energy, so much caring about this old tent that's just getting older and older and older. And we need to take care of it because it's the only one you've got to carry you around in here. But it's just a temporary, it's a temporary dwelling place. Again, that's why Hebrews 12, 11 talks several places about, in fact, Paul talks about it in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says we have this tent, this temporary dwelling place. Well, the fact that the Bible refers to our body, our, this life, as a tent is telling us that it's temporary because the tent has no foundations. Our, how, our home has a foundation under it, so I can't just decide next week I want to pick it up and move it somewhere because it's a permanent dwelling. To do that, they've got to do all kinds of things. But because it is a permanent dwelling, is at a foundation. But a tent has no foundation. It's very easily moved. And so... Our bodies is just a... T- but so our flesh that we're dealing with is what our war is against. Because that's what he's saying. For the, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, for we do not war according to the flesh. And yet our, our basic instinct, when something goes wrong, unless we've renewed our mind, is to fight back with our flesh. Somebody comes up and just shoves you. You're, you're in a line, maybe in the grocery store, or you're in a line somewhere, and somebody just comes up behind just shoves you like that. And your reaction is to, is to brace yourself and want to shove back. That's our flesh. I wanna, it's in instinct. I want to get back. I want to defend myself, and then I want to punish what just was done to me. I want to stand up for myself. That's my flesh reacting. It's, grained, it's, it's ingrained in my fallen nature, and my fallen nature, is, the only part of me that has that fallen nature is my flesh. When I came to Christ, I have a new nature on the inside. That's not the nature that I had before, but I still got this same body of flesh that I had before. I, well, it's a little bigger and a little older, but it's the same body. And, and, but it still wants to do the same things it wanted to do 38 years ago before I was saved. The difference is I've now got God's nature on the inside. But as we learned before when we broke ourselves down between our spirit, soul, and body, is your soul is the controlling factor in that. And your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So your body's always trying to influence your will. You're too tired to go to church. You're, you're, you know, you were up late last night. It's, you're too tired to get up and pray this morning. You know, I know this is what the Bible says, but you know, you can't really mean that. It's your flesh is trying to talk to you, trying to exert, trying to work, to try to influence your will, and your spirit's pulling the other direction. Your spirit always wants to obey God, but it's so many of our lives, we don't even hear what our spirit's saying because we're so used to listening to our flesh. It makes it talk so loud. We're so used to yielding to it that we've given it a say into our lives that's far beyond the say of the spirit of God that's in us to direct us. And so there's a battle that's going on and the beginning of the battle is to get control of the flesh. To get control of the flesh. But the good news is 
that although we walk according to the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. I would venture to say that most of the time when you have just resolved to change yourself, resolved to get your appetite under control, resolved to give more, resolved to pray more, when you've just decided you're going to do it, you failed every time. Oh, you may have gone for a little while, but you're going to run out because you're trying to do it in your own strength. So when you hear me teach about, you know, needing to get your mind under control, some of you are going to say, I've tried to do that for years. It's just so far out of control, it's never going to happen. But you've tried to do it in your own strength. You've tried to renew your mind. Most of the ones of you come on a Wednesday night have tried to renew their mind. But you've done it in your own strength, and then eventually the, your, your flesh will just outweigh you, and you'll give up or you'll get discouraged. But the weapons that we're going to lo- use are mighty through God. That's what he says. They're not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So these weapons that God has given to the church are anointed by God and they're backed up by His power if we'll use them to destroy strongholds. So you're not going to be dealing with those same strongholds with your strength and your power that hasn't worked before. It is weapons that God has given us And God backs up and He ordains these weapons and He empowers these weapons to do just exactly what He's told us to do, to pull down strongholds. So the fight is against the strongholds and imaginations that are raised up against the knowledge of God. That's what He says, verse 5. Casting down arguments or imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against knowing God, against knowing what God's really like. Knowing God by experience so that you have an intimate, real relationship with Him. Many of us were raised in church and we had an image of God that we were taught. And in most cases that image is wrong. It's partially correct, but it's partially wrong. And the evidence of what you think about God is how easily you trust Him. If God were to tell you to give everything away and you knew it was God... What would you do? Would you do it joyfully? If not, then I don't really know what God's like. I don't really know that I can trust Him. I may feel in church that I can trust Him. I may feel when I've been listening to a CD of somebody speaking faith that I can trust Him. But when push comes to shove, what you do shows what you believe. And it's what you believe about God and what He's like. So there are in our minds, there are in our imaginations, strongholds, images of what God is like that limits what God's been able to do in our lives, that limits how much God's peace God's been able to bring to you, that may limit how much healing God's been able to bring to you. When Marilyn was here that Monday, Sunday, Saturday morning, she taught an excellent session. You ought to, if, you've never, if you struggle with healing, you ought to get all three of those. But she talked about why some people don't get healed and the wrong way we handle that issue. And, and what happens is, in some cases, there are strongholds we have about what God's like and what God will do, and that will stand in your way of receiving something from Him. 
If you've been raised in, in, a, in, a, in a church atmosphere or even a home that's very legalistic, you're going to transfer that to God so you have an image of God that He's legalistic. If you don't do all the right things, if you don't make all the right confessions, if you don't believe all the right things, then He won't give to you something. And if that's the image you have of Him, that will block how you can know Him in that area. And so these are strongholds. These imaginations exalt themselves against truly knowing what God is like. And you can sit there with the Word of God and read it, but if you're reading it through one of these strongholds, your mind will, re- will redefine it. It's, I want, you know, how many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you wear glasses or, or, or contacts? What, the reason you've got to wear glasses or contacts is the light when it comes in because the surface of your eye is not the way it was when you were born. That light gets refracted at an angle so the light that's coming in your eye is distorted. So you're looking at something that's true, but when it gets to the retina of your eye, it's not accurate anymore. And that's what a stronghold does when it comes to looking at God. You're reading the Word that God loves you, but you're, I remember years ago sitting back over there somewhere when Pastor Sam poured his heart out and his tears about, about how much God loves us. And I walked out of here feeling condemned. How could you do that? Because my mind redefined things in terms of how it applied to me. Because there were strongholds that I had to work to change, to tear down. Because these strongholds affect your knowing God. Not just that He exists, but affect your knowing what He's like. And all of us have some kind of stronghold built into us, whether it's through church, and you may not have gone to church your whole life until you came here. But your parents communicate images about God. God's what God intended the family to do. God intended a man and a woman to enter into a covenant relationship where they loved each other and they loved God and put God first and they served Him and they knew Him so that they could communicate that knowledge of God to their children first of all by exhibiting that to them and then by leading them to Him. But many of us come from families where that's not what happened. Parents didn't, were not able to, for whatever reason, or chose not to, model that to you. But they did model something. Even if they weren't there, they modeled something. Even if you never knew your father, that modeled something. That modeled he's not there. So those are images that became strongholds in our lives that are affecting us even now. So casting down imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And here's the key, the rest of verse 5. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the fight is against these strongholds that are already in your mind and the imaginations that make those strongholds up that exalt themselves against knowing God. And the way we're to do that is to take every thought captive. Now remember we talked about the process of how your mind works and, and that thoughts come, and I used the example of the UPS man, and you hear the ding-dong or the knock at your door, and you open the door, and the guy in the j- brown jacket hands you the package, and, and, and because at this point, it's not yours. You don't own it, you have no responsibility for it, And what our tendency is, is we take the package, we sign for it, close the door, he gets in his truck and goes away, and now we walk in to find out what we just signed for. 
And now it's too late. It's yours. If it's those Louisiana bullfrogs that I told you about my brother ordered, they're all over your house and you've got to catch them and pick them up. And that's what thoughts are like. And what we saw is that not only do we have the right, not only do we have the ability, but we have the responsibility to discern where those thoughts have come from before we sign for them and let them in. You do not have to let any thoughts in. Just because they come to your mind doesn't mean you own them. Just because some bad thought comes into your mind doesn't... You can't stop some thoughts from coming to your mind. But what you have total control over and total responsibility for is what happens to them next. And as I shared with you a number of weeks ago, one of the devil's main techniques for discouraging people is to give them terrible thoughts and then condemn them. What kind of Christian are you for having those thoughts? Because what he's got to do is weaken your resolve to resist those by condemning you. And if you think that you're a weak Christian, that you're failing, your determination to resist the devil is going to be weak. Remember, he's a deceiver. He very rarely comes directly at you. You know too much. He would very rarely come directly at you. Instead, he comes at you through, through thoughts, subtle thoughts, to slowly weaken your resolve by discouraging you. What kind of Christian are you? I deal with that. What kind of pastor are you? I'm dealing with this afternoon. What kind of pastor are you? You're not this and you're not that. And you so-and-so is doing this and so-and-so. If you were a good pastor, you'd be doing this. And, and those thoughts can be so subtle that you just, they just float around in there and you're not realizing because you're doing something else until all of a sudden you realize, almost feel paralyzed. The emotion begins to overtake you. Remember I told you that emotions are like your taste buds for your body? Your taste buds for your body are not just so you can enjoy that vanilla ice cream, but also so you can tell if it's been in the freezer too long and it's not any good because it doesn't taste the way vanilla ice cream. Your taste buds are not just so you can enjoy, but they also let you know something's wrong. In the same way, your emotions are to help you experience life and enjoy it, but they're also a way to tell you something's wrong. So when I start feeling discouraged, when I start feeling heaviness, that's a warning sign to me, whoa, John, what have you been thinking about? What kind of thoughts have you been allowed to roll around in there because they're beginning to form again or reinforce an, a stronghold or an ima- imagination that's now creating this emotion that you're having? So we need to monitor. What's one of the things we're going to learn how to do? How to monitor your thoughts and monitor your emotions. And so, 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 so I went back to the, referred to that, the UPS man. And here's why. Because the process tells us that we are, can you put verse 5 up there again? We are to bring every thought into captivity. Every thought into captivity. Why every thought? Because God knows that every thought is intended to be a dot in some image. You have no thoughts that come into your mind that have no purpose. Idle thoughts. Every thought that comes into your mind is intended to form, be part of some image. Either an image that's going to reinforce the Word of God and what God says about you, or an image that's going to reinforce one of those old strongholds that was deposited in you. 
I want you to see this because I want you to understand why it is important to learn how to take captive every thought. Now, let me tell you first, right up front, you're not going to do that for a long time. You're not going to be able to capture every thought captive for a long time. In fact, you may never capture every thought captive. But if you don't begin somewhere, you'll never gain control of any of your thoughts. And you can learn how to do this. Because if the Bible says to do it, we can do it. Now notice what it says. We're to bring every thought into captivity. Into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Well, that doesn't just mean whatever Christ says. That refer- he is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So when it talks about bringing obedience to Christ, it's talking about beating, bringing the thoughts into obedience to the Word of God. Does this thought line up with the Word of God? Does this thought stand up to the Word of God? And I took you through an example a number of weeks ago when I gave you an example of what it meant to renew your mind, that it literally means to change how you think, about the process by which you think. Change the thoughts that you have. And I used the example of somebody, of, of the emotion of jealousy, where somebody that you wanted to, to become friends with had invited you to lunch, and then at the last minute they canceled it because they had to go visit their sick grandmother or something, and you, went, you just went to the restaurant anyway, and you found they were there with somebody else, and we talked about what thoughts went through your mind and the emotions that you had. And then we talked about the right way to do it is to take those thoughts and line them up with God's Word. And what does God's Word say about the situation? Many times, if you just learn to stop your thoughts, you'll get a better perspective. Wait a minute, wait a minute, because your mind will start assuming all kinds of things. This, we start connecting dots. Well, I know this is true, but then this might be true, and you start connecting this together with this together, and the next thing you know, you form this incredible image, which is based on nothing that's true. But you've got to start by getting control of the thoughts and then bringing every thought into obedience to Christ oh and then it gets better verse 6 says and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled the word punish there actually means to be aggressively aggressively go after to see it as if it's disobedience again this is the process of identifying your thoughts and realizing that none of those thoughts especially the ones that come from the devil are harmless thoughts you wouldn't let the devil in your house. Would you let a witch in your house? Doorbell rings and here's this witch dressed up. I don't know how a witch, a real witch dresses up and saying, you know, but identify. I'm a witch and I brought some of my fellow witches here. And we just kind of like to come stay in your house for a while, eat dinner with you. And, you know, we just want to be a blessing to your family. You would never do that, would you? And yet we let in thoughts that the Bible says are doctrines of demons. James chapter 4 talks about envy and jealousy and strife. We let all kinds of things live, take root, bear fruit in our minds and then get down in our hearts. That's why Hebrews talks about be very careful what you think about because don't let any root of bitterness become a root of bitterness. That starts with thoughts of bitterness, which starts with thoughts of self-pity or envy or jealousy, then that takes root and becomes, becomes bitterness, and then that bitterness takes root, and it gets started rooting down on your heart. Now it begins to, 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 to affect the lives of many other people, Hebrews says. 
we've got to begin to recognize that those thought, thoughts that are, are not lined up with the Word of God, that, that, that it is like letting the devil in your house. And then we wonder why things aren't working. We wonder why we feel so weak. We wonder why we have no power when we pray. We wonder why we have trouble standing. We wonder why we're so tired. Because there's a spiritual life inside of you that if you're meditating and thinking about things of this world and the, th- the lies of the devil, then that's going to undermine all the life of God that's in you. Okay. Now, I want to give you another principle before we uh, go into another subject here. And the principle is this. It's not enough, because we're still preparing for, for this. It's not enough to keep out disobedient thoughts. But you have to put in right thoughts to create the right image. Psalm 119 says, Your word, O Lord, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the psalmist said, What keeps me from sinning against you is not that I take out sinful thoughts, but that I put the word of God in there. That I put the word of God in there. Um... Let's go to Luke chapter 11. Simple little example. Parable that Jesus told. But it's so important. Because again, when we try to deal with issues in our life, we tend to, tend to try to deal with them in the negative context. Here's a little story told. Verse 24. Luke eleven twenty-four. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none, He says, I will return to the house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept out and put in order. So he's talking about somebody that had demons in them, a demon in him, and the demons cast out. And he says that demon will go around in waterless places, which is the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. And then at some point, he's going to try to get back in again, because he needs some place to live in order to express himself. And he was comfy in you. He was very comfortable in that house before, so he wants to see if he can come back. He says, but when he comes back, he's going to find it swept and put in order. So when the demon was cast out, the house was cleaned and put in order. Isn't that great? And now the demon comes back looking for, to see if he can make get entrance back into this house again, finds it clean and put in order. Verse 26, Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and then they, they enter and dwell there, and the last state of this man will be worse than the first. So Jesus is saying it's not enough to get the bad out. You've got to replace it with something that's positive. Because if you just get the bad thoughts out, there's a vacuum in there and because you're still, we're still not renewed in our thinking, we're still an open target for those evil thoughts to come back in again. So this process of renewing our mind is not just enough to stop, get control of, and take captive the thoughts that don't line up to the Word of God. We've got to also, in place of them, put the Word of God in to occupy that space. Because remember, the weapons that we're using that God has given us are ordained by God to do this. Again, the reason that many of us have failed so often is we've tried to do this in our own strength with our own carnal weapons, using our flesh to control our flesh, using our mind to control our mind, where God has given us tools that are ordained by Him and empowered by Him to do the job. And we're going to learn one of them, one of the key ones, is the Word of God itself. 
because the Word of God is more powerful and active than any two-edged sword. It is powerful. It's what Jesus says, the kingdom of God in, in Matthew 13, which is the parable of the sower. He says, the way the kingdom of God grows in your life is the Word is sown in. And then if you read through that parable, the battle that comes, comes on account of the Word that's been sown in there. Why? Because the devil knows that word. If it's put into your heart, and if it's watered, and if it's meditated on, he can't stop it. Because it's the word of God. The same word that created the universe. The living word of God. So we're going to learn to put that word in us to take up the space from the negative that we got rid of. So it's not enough to just say, no, I'm not going to think those thoughts. We've got to begin to determine to think thoughts that are based on the Word of God. Philippians chapter 4 gives us a little insight into this. Verse 8, well, I don't know that they're going to be able to put it up here because I didn't give them this verse, but verse 6, I'm going to start back there. Be anxious for nothing. Think about that. God says, be anxious for nothing. Oh, but pastor, you know, we're just human. I guess God didn't know that. <laughs> He's sitting up there tonight listening into this message saying, oh, I didn't know that, we're human. Oh, we got to rewrite that, Jesus. Or Paul, I'm sorry, we got to rewrite that. If God says to be anxious for nothing, see, this is where we, the very first key I taught you is the Word has to be the authority in your life. Because the Word, when the Word says be anxious for nothing, and my mind tells me that's not possible, one of us is wrong. And if you're used to siding with you, You've just watered the Word of God down and you've made it of little effect to do the job. So when the Word of God says be anxious for nothing, I've got to answer and say, I don't know how, it doesn't seem possible, but I'm, not, I'm going to agree. That means I can, I can come to that place where I'm anxious for nothing. Now that's talking about what not to let in. He then tells us something to do. But in everything by prayer, that's everything you'd be anxious about. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Just a little insight into here. This is one of the verses that I use. When I find myself getting anxious, this verse comes to my mind. Well, what does the Word of God say about it? It says not to be anxious about that. But He doesn't just leave me there saying, oh, John, don't be anxious. Because there are some things you look at, and if you've got common sense, you're going to be anxious. So He tells me something to do. Instead of being anxious, come to me and make your request known to me. With the, Talk to me about what it is you're anxious about. Ask me to do something about that and then believe I'm going to do it. Because if you believe I'm going to do it, then why would you be anxious about it? We're going to go broke. Do you understand that they're going to raise the... They're, they may be raising the federal rate and that means some loans are going to go... Oh, what are we going to do? Be anxious for nothing. Instead of being anxious about that, all right, God, what are we going to do? I had that happen a couple weeks ago. 
We had some repair work being done in our house, and the process of fixing one thing, we discovered we were going to have to replace something else. It was about $1,500. It was not in my budget for what I was about to replace. And they showed me where it was leaking. My water heater was leaking. And I went outside. And they're downstairs working away. They said, oh, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have to replace the water heater. Um, by the way, this was Friday afternoon, and Monday we're going out of town. So that means there's no water, hot water, for Sunday morning between now and Monday. Or that may mean I can't go out of town, and that was a very important thing that I would go on. So I walked out. I'm starting to get all worked up because my mind's running. It's going to mean this. It's going to mean this. It's going to mean this. You're not going to have to do this. And my mind can go lightning fast that direction. How am I going to tell my wife we can't go? I said, wait a minute, John. You're getting anxious. So I just went out my front porch and I said, God, we're tithers. What are you going to do? You've got a problem here. <laughs> I, I really can't afford to replace that water heater, and I sure don't have the time to wait to do it until Monday. What are you going to do? I'm not going to worry about this. I'm bringing this to you. And they called the repairman, and he came out, took a look at it, and he said, all I got to do is replace this one little pipe. He did it in about 20 minutes and didn't charge for it. Be anxious. See, when God tells you to be anxious for nothing, He's not going to leave you hanging out there dangling in the wind trying to deal with it yourself. He's saying, don't be anxious, bring it to me. In one of Peter's letters, he says, Roll your cares over on me. Cast your cares. It literally means roll them over. The images of a, of a, of a camel carrying this big weight on it, this package, these supplies. And when the camel would come to the end of the trip, they would kneel down and to get them off, they would have the camel lean over. When the camel leaned over, all the weight he was carrying would roll off of him. And God wants you to lean over on him and let the weight of what you're carrying roll over on him and then he tells you why. Because literally in the Greek it says, because it matters to him concerning you. He doesn't want you carrying those weights and those worries around when he's saying, I'm here to carry them for you. I can do all kinds of things you can't imagine that can be done. But then he tells us what to do. Verse 6. Uh, verse 8. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, then meditate on these things. There's a filter to use. Well, what can I think about? Well, is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it a good report? Is there virtue in it? Is it something worthy of being praised? Then you can think of it. The point is this. God tells us positive things to think about. We're not going to turn there, but in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, He says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life 
and peace. So what you set your mind on, and we can choose, determines what you're going to experience. So what we're learning tonight is what, as we begin to get next time into these tools, what we're learning is that we have to get control of the thoughts that are coming into our mind. Every thought is important. And if you look at it this way, we're going to start next time by how do you identify the return address on the package? How do you identify where the thought came from? Because that's the key. Because sometimes they're subtle. And so remember the example of the UPS man? What you should do is you should find out who it came from because that'll tell you most likely whether you want what's inside. So if it says hell on the return, you don't want it. Because there's everything in there is either going to steal, kill, or destroy. And if you don't want to be stolen from, killed, or destroyed, don't accept the package. On the other side, if it says from the kingdom of heaven, you know that it's come to give you life and, and, and life more abundantly. So we're going to learn next time how do you discern where those thoughts came from. And they can be very subtle and very tricky. But there's really keys the Bible gives to us to look at so that we can discern that. And so we'll pick up with this next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Because your word says that you will, if we ask you, give us understanding. And we ask you tonight. And I believe you've given us some understanding. That we have a better understanding of ourselves, a better understanding of how you've made us, and a better understanding of how we can be transformed and allow you to bring change into our lives and to the outside. I pray for every one of us, Father, for I'm going through this process as well as each of us, that you would help us to take what we heard tonight, that seed, and begin to recognize it in our life in this week ahead, to become, to become, become more conscious of our thoughts and more aware of our thoughts and how important that we have control over those thoughts and recognize where they come from. And help us to remember, Father, that we are not our minds. And help us to remember, Father, that we can do whatever you said that we can do in your word. And that we would begin to agree with you that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And finally, Father, we thank you for the hope that we have. That we don't have to remain where we are and where we've been. But you have a way for us to change and be transformed, to overcome those strongholds that have controlled some of our lives for years that they can be brought down, that they can be changed, they can be replaced. And we thank you for that hope tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.